Welcome to Technovation. I'm Peter High. I'm so pleased to be joined today by Jen Charters. Jen is the Chief Information Officer of Flagstar. Flagstar is a Michigan-based national mortgage lender with $31 billion in assets under management. She's been in that role for roughly three years now, after a 12-year stint, I should say, a dozen years at Ally Bank, where uh, she was most recently the Chief Information Officer of Corporate Technology. Jen also serves as the President of the Michigan Council of Women in Technology, and looking forward to covering all of these uh, uh, topics with her areas of responsibility that she has or has had as well. Jen, so nice to see you today. Thanks, Peter. Great to be here. Jen, let's begin with uh, with Flagstar, if you don't mind. Uh, for, for those who may be less familiar with it, I provided a little bit of an introduction as to what you do, but maybe provide a little bit more of that thumbnail sketch as to Flagstar's business, please. Sure. So, so Flagstar is a community bank, and uh, we operate our retail branches in about five states. Um, we have a national charter uh, that enables us to service customers nationwide. Um, mortgage is a pretty significant part of our business, uh, mortgage origination. So um, we, we originate mortgages uh, across the country. We also have a um, mortgage servicing business. We are the sixth largest mortgage servicer in the country. Uh, where um, we uh, we service not only Flagstar mortgages, but uh, service uh, for others as well. And uh, within our community bank, uh, we have both retail as well as commercial lending. Um, as an example, we have a warehouse lending business, which is the third largest warehouse lending business in the country. Um, and uh, we also offer um, another uh, a number of other uh, commercial uh, loans, including home builder finance and uh, commercial real estate and CNI. And you were the chief information officer of the of the company. Talk a little bit about, and you've been there in, in role for roughly three years, as I mentioned at the top. Talk a bit about the the IT department you inherited when you joined the organization. What what did you find, and and as a result of that, what were some of the first changes you looked to enact? Yeah, so uh, you know, I mentioned uh, the the prominent role that mortgage had at Flagstar Bank, and uh, if you were to go back to the financial crisis. You know, I think at that time, uh, you know, they were hit pretty hard uh, at that time uh, with, uh, you know, the impact on mortgage and, and mortgage lending and, and, you know, a number of uh, various regulatory issues that they had to deal with. And so um, the organization that I came into is it was clearly one that had been through, I will say, a bit of crisis and turmoil uh, during that time. Um, a number of cost reductions that were were likely made, you know, and decisions made about reducing uh, potential investment and costs and things like that. And so I was fortunate enough to come into the bank at a time when it was now starting to turn a corner. It, you know, most of the regulatory issues were largely, beyond, you know, past them. And uh, and now we were starting to look forward toward, you know, what was the, you know, new Flagstar going to look like, you know, the, the, the Flagstar that could now focus on, on growing. And so one of the challenges that I had was kind of coming into an organization that, you know, had been very, I'll say, sort of risk averse and maybe also less inclined to, to invest and think about things in more of an innovative way. Uh, so more, you know, kind of, you know, toe the line, you know, hold the course uh, versus continuing to, to kind of advance and grow. And so, um, you know, when I came to it, that, that was sort of the situation that I was in. And so my one of my goals was to now start thinking about 
how could we advance Flagstar in a more innovative, in a more digital uh, uh, way? And so a few things um, that I did was, uh, you know, engaging us with um, more of the fintech culture. So one uh, example was engaging with the University of Michigan um, in their fintech club and doing like a, a, a challenge with them. Another example was we created basically a mortgage technology accelerator. So they were a, a venture capital firm. And so they helped us uh, put together this program where Flagstar uh, engaged with a cohort of fintechs to both coach them in terms of, you know, what would it mean to engage directly in a corporate environment and how do they ensure that their platforms are able to support um, what a business, you know, in real life uh, needs to have happen, including all the regulatory concerns that are, are necessary. And then um, also, um, you know, giving us an opportunity as an organization to learn from them. So what is it that these fintechs are seeing? What are they doing? What's different and unique that they're providing? And how do we Flagstar learn from that? So those were some of the examples of uh, a few things that I, I tried to uh, engage the organization in to start that, you know, start planting the seeds of, of innovation and growth. Really interesting examples. And I find fintech particularly interesting, Jen, uh, as older organizations like your own begin to engage with them. There's sort of this, what some have referred to, where there's a Yale professor who developed the uh, the term co-opetition. There's a cooperation aspect to it, but there, of course, there's a competitive nature potentially as one engages with the fintechs. I, I'm curious if you happen to have a perspective on that. Um, clearly, you are one to lean in towards the fintechs as there's a lot to learn from them. Uh, and, and, and of course, uh, ways in which to partner with them that could be productive to an organization like Flagstar. Um, uh, but also being cognizant of the fact that even if it's small snippets of a, of a broader business like your own, there's the potential for competition. How do you think about that, if you don't mind my asking? Yeah. So um, generally, what I would tell you is that these fintech companies do not want to become a regulated bank entity. And so um, where we have a, a value and a benefit is the fact that we do have that bank charter, that we can do the things that banks can do. Whereas these fintechs typically find like sort of their niche. What is it that they do really well? And it, and it tends to be pretty narrow, um, at least in the early stages. And so they don't really need the overhead or want the overhead of what it would mean to be a full-size bank. So to me, it's it's just a win-win. You know, there's, there's no concern to me in terms of, you know, the fear of, you know, competition or them coming in and you know, taking over and, and, and kind of, you know, taking away our customer base. They tend to have their, their, their clear uh, objective of what it is that they do. It tends to be relatively narrow versus, you know, Flagstar as an example, as a bank, we have a much broader platform uh, to engage consumers and to deliver services. And we also have a lot of that, um, the, you know, sort of the, the foundation in place to be a bank and to deal with the sort of regulatory nature of what we do. So, um, so to me, it, it's all win-win. Recognizing, for example, the size of Flagstar, I don't have the capacity or the dollars to invest at the level that, you know, say uh, a Chase, a Wells Fargo, Bank of America have to invest in technology. And so, 
for me, this is a great opportunity to engage with these fintechs who have this creativity, they have dedicated resources focused around whatever that niche is. And if that makes sense for us, we partner together and we bring it together. And so um, to me, there's there's no, no concern about, you know, sort of the competitive nature of this. This is all just, you know, we can provide value to them and they can provide value to us. So I'm, I'm a big fan. That's great. What a, what a great answer. I, I appreciate that perspective. Um, I want so so now fast forwarding. You talked a bit about some of the 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 changes that you made and some of your own diagnosis of the IT organization that you came to lead in joining the org, joining the company. Um, let's fast forward now further to today. Uh, well, I should say like a year ago, of course, um, uh, there was a lot that changed for all of us uh, and the need to lean on. Uh, digital revenue streams, digital means of, of communicating with and interacting with customers, digital means of evaluating the health of our operations and to say nothing of the health and, and, and happiness and productivity of our, of our employees became profound in a way that none of us could have imagined uh, you know, 15, 16 months ago. Um, I wonder if you could talk a little bit about uh, the the work that you and the team did. I guess it would be in your first couple of years of your tenure. No one would have been been preparing specifically for a pandemic and a quarantine and so on. But talk a bit about the way in which the changes that you enacted in those first couple of years pay dividends in terms of fostering resilience over the course of the past uh, time that we have been uh, 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 experiencing the pandemic, the quarantine, and and all of the other consequences uh, uh, you know accorded with that. Yeah, I mean, sometimes you're smart and sometimes you're lucky. And I think in some of these cases, uh, you know, we got a little bit lucky at the same time. But it, it, a couple of things that I would point out is that, you know, we also have started investing a lot more in cloud, cloud infrastructure and cloud environments. And, you know, just giving you an example of, um, you know, for example, our mortgage business tends to be relatively cycl cyclical. So, you know, as the pandemic struck, um, and the economy started to falter, you had the Federal Reserve dropping interest rates. When interest rates go down, everybody starts thinking about refinancing their mortgages and, and, and you know, throw on top of it just the incredible uptick in, uh, I'll say, new purchase volume because as people are spending more and more time in their home, they're discovering they want maybe a different home or a home that, you know, maybe they want to do a complete remodel of some sort. So they need a HELOC or something, you know, take some investment out of their home. So uh, what I would say is with a business that tends to be pretty cyclical in nature, where you have these peaks and valleys, um, it is a great opportunity to have more elastic infrastructure. And so being able to make sure that we have that kind of uh, infrastructure that can scale as needed and tying more of that variable cost to the variable nature of the business, uh, to me, makes a lot of sense. And we started investing in, in leveraging the cloud um, in the last uh, several years. And, and, you know, I would say it absolutely paid dividends in the event that, you know, as mortgage started growing and the volume started coming in, that we were able to handle the capacity and that growth, you know, with our platforms. So, um, you know, those are that's that's just one example of where, you know, we, we started investing in the, these platforms in the cloud. And I would say, you know, that really has paid dividends for us. 
You, you've also, as I mentioned at the outset, you have experience at Ally Bank, a dozen years there, uh, rose to be a, a one of the CIOs of that organization, um, a bank that had had itself kind of a rebirth as a digital bank uh, was not its history but back to GMAC. Uh, you know, it's certainly a digital immigrant as, as opposed to a digital native organization, but one that really refashioned itself as a digital bank. There are a number of banking institutions who uh, who now refer to themselves as digital banks or technology companies that happen to be in the financial services space. And I, I wonder if you could talk a little bit about, especially given the dynamism of that and the number of organizations that are making significant you know, bets in that direction. Uh, how do you think about that further differentiation in a, or even the pathway to accomplishing something akin to that within an organization like Flagstar? Yeah, so um, it's it's such a great question. And, it, and it's one that I often reflect on because I think about, you know, sort of how Ally got to where it got to. So understanding the history of it, um, it originated as part of GM. It was uh, GMAC at one point in time. Um, and it was uh, late 2006, roughly, when um, GM sold a significant portion of the business to a, a private equity company. And then, of course, you know, the, the financial crisis hit in 2008. GMAC did have a significant um, uh, business in mortgage, as well as subprime mortgage, which of course we know was was pretty challenging at that time. And as part of the government's uh, support for GMAC, uh, one of the things that they did was um, made GMAC a bank. So they gave, you know, we made, uh, a, you know, a, we became a bank holding company. And of course, with that, there eventually was the rebranding uh, to Ally. Um, and a big part of that was now creating a digital bank. And if you think about sort of the, um, so, so th this is where you kind of get lucky to some degree, right? The technology and I think the world's appetite for a, a, a digital bank was, was ripe at that time. Uh, but it was an easier thing to do to go build a digital bank than to go build a bunch of brick and mortar branches throughout the country. Um, and the costs associated with that. So it was really kind of the, the crisis of the financial situation of the company that kind of forced GMAC into becoming this now digital bank. This is, this is where you and I've talked before, it's the sort of don't let a, a good crisis go to waste, where, you know, as a company, you know, there was a real opportunity there, you know, but I'm not sure that that would have happened without that sort of crisis having happened. A little bit of history there on, on you know, kind of how Ally came to be and how it became that digital bank. And now as I look at, you know, Flagstar and where does Flagstar want to go and what does Flagstar want to be, creating that, that case for change to be a more, um, you know, digitally savvy organization, um, it becomes harder. Um, and, and, you know, as I mentioned, with the, the pandemic that just happened, um, our business actually did very well um, because when interest rates drop and everybody goes and refinances their mortgages and all of that, um, the business actually picks up and it, and it actually uh, does uh, extremely well. And so when you're in a situation where business is good and growing, how do you create that opportunity for change? How do you create the impetus for change? And it becomes a lot harder in that circumstance than, you know, if you go back to the ally situation where, 
you know, we were on the verge of bankruptcy, you know, government bailout comes in, saves the company, and, you know, we have to transform. So it's not quite the same, you know, scenario when you go into a company that's performing extremely well. How do you create that impetus to change? Why should it change if things are going well? And so, um, so to me, that's, that's a really big, um, you know, sort of lesson in terms of how do you create the burning platform? How do you kind of envision that future so that you don't fall into a trap of, you know, let's, let's call it the blockbuster effect or the Kodak effect of where you have a business, you've got something that's, that's performing well, at least right now. But if you ignore the future, if you ignore future trends and where things are going, you could potentially fall into the trap of falling so far behind that you can't catch up. Yeah, great, great points all. And I know that uh, from our past conversations, as you've thought about the the culture you want to foster within the organization, there's an acronym that you've developed, CODE, uh, which applies nicely uh, in a more traditional sense to a technology organization. But I wonder if you could uh, define the four aspects of the acronym and and their meaning from your perspective. Yeah. So within the IT organization, you know, I felt it was important that I kind of put my my own sort of fingerprint on on the culture of the organization. And so we built out what we call IT code and code stands for curiosity, objectivity, determination, and engagement. And to me, the biggest one is the C, the, the, the curiosity. So it's not accepting things just the way that they've always been, but how do we kind of dig in and understand the why, you know, it's, it's the, you know, continually asking of that that question of why, why are we doing this? And and really getting curious about it to get to the point of getting answers. So um, to me, that's that's so um, important. And then, you know, I always believe in being data driven. So rather than just, you know, hey, it's my gut, this is, you know, I, I just think it's the best way that we should move forward. You know, let's make sure that we're pulling the data together. And that means data both inside the organization and potentially data outside the organization. So um, we can't possibly, uh, you know, get every data point to make the right decision. So how do we go use the resources around us to be able to find enough information to get us comfortable with that uh, decision-making process? So using facts and data to be able to help us decision things. Determination, I mean, this is one of my favorites because it's all around, you know, sort of a growth mindset and it's about grit and it's about, you know, we can do hard things. And not only do we start hard things, but we finish hard things. And, you know, you can kind of go back to the, the Detroit, you know, kind of, uh, you know, blue collar, you know, gritty model. And, uh, and, you know, given our roots here in the Motor City, um, you know, having that determination, being able to fail and be able to pick yourself back up, learn from that mistake and keep going. So um, I think determination is really, really important as well. And then in terms of engagement to me is, you know, creating purpose uh, behind what it is that we do. So, you know, for example, during uh, this most recent uh, pandemic, um, the PPP program, the, the Paycheck Protection Program was something that we had to address. 
And so, uh, you know, I will tell you, you know, we, we got the requirements around what it was supposed to be, you know, probably within, you know, 24 to 48 hours of having to deliver something. And so um, my team had to kind of really dig in um, and work, you know, put in a lot of hours to try to deliver on something. And one of the things that got us through was the purpose behind that. You know, we weren't saving lives like the doctors, you know, on the front lines or the EMS or the nurses, but we were trying to save livelihoods. You know, it was about how do we help that small business owner, you know, that minority business owner be able to get a loan to be able to keep their business afloat. And so when you when you create sort of that sense of purpose behind something, it, it really helps engage people to want to do the work and it makes them feel good about the work that they do. So um, engagement is really important. And the second part of that is also around diversity, equity, and inclusion. That is something really important to Flagstar. We, we really value uh, diversity in the workplace. And so when you engage, you know, it's also engaging those that aren't like you, engaging others that maybe have different opinions than you. And so having that sort of um, engagement of diverse perspectives. So that's that's a bit around uh, IT code. It's you know, there's a lot packed into it, but, um, you know, it's it's one of those things that I, I feel proud about, you know, that that's something that we've created and that we kind of stand behind. That's wonderful. Yeah. Thank you for that overview. Um you are also, as I mentioned before, the president, the current president of the Michigan Council of Women in Technology. And, you know, gender diversity is something that has, there's a, been new light shined upon that, especially within IT organizations, a, a field that has not been historically um, as diverse, especially from a gender perspective, uh, as other parts of, uh, of, of organizations. Uh, certainly some great progress has been made. You're, you're a great rep- representation of that as a, as a as a CIO within your organization, a CIO multiple times over now. Uh, but I wonder if you could maybe reflect uh, for a moment about the uh, sort of the state of the Union of Women in Technology, uh, what you have seen as progress, as well as progress you hope to see uh, in the months and years ahead. Yeah, so um, thank you for asking about it, because I think it's really important. Um, and it's an important thing for us to address as we think about, you know, uh, so first of all, I, I'm not sure that we've we've moved things as forward as we'd like to move them, especially with the pandemic. I think, you know, there's a lot of um, what I'll call sort of the traditional role of the, the woman um, that impacts uh, our ability to continue to advance in the workplace. So, um, you know, I often think about the fact that I still do the grocery shopping and cook the dinners and, you know, do the laundry and, you know, all of those things, even though, you know, I also go to work and I, you know, bring a paycheck home every, every, you know, couple of weeks. So, um, you know, I think that there is a ton of opportunity for us to continue to bring more women into the uh, technology field. So um, a couple of things that I would point out is that, um, technology jobs are some of the highest paying jobs that exist out there. And so um, for women who want to lift themselves out of sort of the, you know, either lower class or even, you know, maybe lower middle class into a higher level of um, income, it, it's a huge opportunity if they were to take advantage of getting the skills needed to become a technologist 
there's a huge opportunity for them to lift themselves up so that they can have independence. And I think that that is so important. It's not that there aren't other careers that can give you this, but but technology specifically has a a great opportunity around it. And, um, you know, I still remember when my dad drove me to college, you know, after, uh, you know, on on my way to uh, Michigan State. And one of the things that he said to me is don't ever depend on a man. And, and, you know, it was it was sort of uh, interesting that it was coming from him. But I also, you know, kind of throughout, you know, kind of growing up, my mom always had this, you know, uh, belief that, you know, there was this sort of empowerment of women and and girls and girls can do anything. Um, But interestingly, when she was growing up, that wasn't the case. You know, she had the option of either becoming a teacher or becoming, you know, a secretary or nurse. You know, there weren't just as many opportunities there. And so she actually ended up falling a lot into the role of, you know, sort of the, you know, the mom and, you know, the sort of traditional roles. She was also a teacher, but a preschool teacher. And um, and so from just an income standpoint, you know, there was a differentiation between her income and my dad's income that meant she didn't have as much, um, I'll say, independence. And so I think for women for us to have that level of independence and, and technology careers can help us get there. That I think that that's really important. It's very empowering. Um, and then, uh, you know, the other thing would just be that um, there is, you know, from an economic standpoint, we need to fill technology roles. There is a huge gap in terms of, you know, for example, information security professionals. There are not enough of them. Uh, there's a huge uh, shortage of, of information security professionals. There is, I think, you know, we're going to see as the baby boomers start retiring, there is going to be more and more demand for um, people in technology to kind of come up and replace uh, those who may be retiring. And so as a state, as a country, I think we need to be mindful about how are we filling that pipeline? And if we forget about, you know, of the population as an opportunity to fill that pipeline, then we will be completely short-sighted in being able to deliver on, you know, getting people into good jobs. And and so I think from just a pure, you know, economic standpoint, it's important that we invest in that. Um, So just to put a quick plug in for the Michigan Council of Women in Technology, you know, our our mission is to become uh, the number one state uh, for women in technology and one of the things that we do is we build a whole pipeline, like we focus on the life cycle. So that means we're starting at the level of kindergartners, you know, the, the you know, kindergarten through eighth grade. We are putting programs in place to, to introduce girls to technology. Then we focus at the high school level. And, you know, how do we keep them engaged, get them scholarships so that they can, you know, potentially go to college and study computer science. Um, then within the college years, making sure that they stay connected. Um, because I can tell you as, as a female that was going through a computer science program myself, I was a minority. So I was one of only a few people in those classes. And there was, um, it, you know, I, I felt like I was sort of missing out on my sort of uh, network and there there weren't a lot of people like me. So it was really easy for me to want to say, you know what, this is hard. And I don't know if I want to keep doing this. 
And, and there were many moments where I thought about dropping out, but there were programs that were in place. Like at the time I was at, in school, it was the Society of Women Engineers, where there were communities of people that I could connect with that made it um, possible for me to stay in the field. And so at the college level, that's what we want to do is make sure that the women who are there stick with it. And then, of course, when they graduate and now they have a career, we want to be able to give them the programs that they need um, to continue to, to hone their skills, as well as to grow their leadership skills so that they can eventually become, you know, hopefully a CIO of a, of a company as well. So um, I think it's uh, a great program and I'm proud to be a part in, in helping to lead that. That's wonderful and amazing the ways in which you were paying paying things forward uh, with the experiences that you've garnered along the way as well. I'm sure that many women are going to benefit from that. Um, I also want to mention I, something that I know from from our past conversations that I greatly admire about you, Jen, is as a working mother, you went back and got your MBA. You have a computer science degree from Michigan State. You also uh, have an MBA from Michigan, and I'm I'm always amazed by I'm amazed by single people uh, who manage to work as well as get an MBA. You added a lot more uh, to, to you. You had a lot more to your on your plate when you when you embarked on that. Uh, but but I know that uh, it was an important aspect of rounding out your sets of experiences of being a, a, a technologist with business acumen. So, I mean, I, I, I admire you greatly for for having made that that speaking of grit, uh, making that investment yeah. in yourself. Yeah. And, and, you know, I'll tell you, you know, I, I give tons of kudos to my husband at that time because I had a two and a half year old and a five year old when I decided to go back to college. And, and so it was, you know, working <laughs> full time and then trying to do that in the evenings on top of it. And, uh, you know, certainly not an easy thing to do, but I'm, I'm grateful that I was able to do that because it's been, you know, a huge, um, a huge help for me to, uh, to understand better, um, the business. And, and, you know, I've heard you talk about how, one of the roles in the organization that has such a great purview to everything going on in the business is the CIO and being able to have the technology background combined with that business acumen, I think gives a CIO so much more power to really be able to speak both languages. It's, it's almost like learning a different language, right? You can, you can be the translator of, you know, what is the business need and the business imperative and, you know, what is the technology way that we can solve for that problem? Jen, in recent days, uh, there was a very exciting announcement that uh, New York Community Bank Corp is going to acquire Flagstar. Uh, I realized it is very early days uh, in, in the immediate aftermath of the announcement. And so there's a lot a lot of details yet to be sorted out. But wondered if you uh, cared to offer sort of a perspective based upon, you know, what you know, at least so far. Yeah, so it is exciting news. And, uh, you know, I'm very uh, excited about the opportunity to partner with New York Community Bank as we bring together and merge the two companies. Uh, you know, I think more and more uh, M&A activity is happening in the banking world. And a big part of that is the ability of these banks to invest in technology. And so, uh, you know, the bigger the banks, um, you know, the more that we have the potential uh, to invest there. You know, one of the things that, that you and I talked about is um, also uh, the ability for an organization to shift and to change. And so when there is either a crisis, as you know, I talked about in the in the ally world, uh, you know, that kind of forced that change. In this case, we're talking about, you know, the potential of a merger where you have two companies coming together with different cultures, with different systems, with different processes. 
And so it's creating sort of that, that inflection point for us to be thinking about what is the, the best way for us to move forward. And, you know, it could be the New York Community Bank way, it could be the Flagstar way, or as we also talked about, it could be a third way. It could be a completely different way for us to go forward. And I think it's a, it's a huge opportunity for us to think about, you know, what are the habits and things that we wanna maybe retire and what are the new habits that we want to create as a go forward combined organization? So, you know, to me, this is a really big opportunity for us to use this as an inflection point and to say, what kind of bank do we want to be when we grow up? And so uh, with change, you know, creates uh, opportunity. And uh, so I'm really excited about what uh, that future might be and how we kind of create the bank that we want uh, versus necessarily the banks that we are today. That's fantastic. In the couple of minutes we have left, Jen, I wanted to ask you, as you look to the future, what are some trends that particularly excite you? We've talked about a number of them that are related to fintech and, and the uh, evolution towards becoming a, a greater, uh, a more digitally savvy organization, um, but wanted to, to check to see what, what, uh, what aspects of that you, you, you find particularly interesting. You know, one of the things that I would tell you that I think is really important and, and for any organization will help them accelerate their digital agenda is having people on the business side who under, understand technology um, working in partnership with um, the technology organization itself. And so I think occasionally there can be sort of this fear that when the business starts understanding technology that, you know, will that make my job irrelevant? Um, but what I always say is it takes two to tango. And um, even in an innovation agenda, if you don't have the kind of top-down um, goal or objective to change an organization toward a more digitally savvy um, uh, uh, set of platforms, then you won't you won't get very far as a, as a CIO, right? Like you can only take the agenda so far. But if it is a combined agenda driven by the business, then you can go significantly faster. And so there are certain trends around um, kind of enabling the business with you know low code, no code type solutions. With you know when I think about um, sort of the uh, you know even uh, analytics space. Um, the business knows their data way better than I know their data or than any of the technologists know their data. And I always, I use the example of like, imagine that you're creating a spreadsheet. Uh, what if you had to ask your technology organization to, to create that tech, to create that spreadsheet for you? So you're going to have to give them business requirements. You're going to have to document all of those. You're going to have to make sure that they understand it. You know, they're going to build it. They're going to show it to you. You're going to say, well, I, I'd rather, you know, it look like this. You know, I'd can you change the formula? It shouldn't be this. It should be that. And, and can you imagine the overhead of creating a spreadsheet if, if that's what you had to do? But if your business is enabled to be able to create certain technology on their own, then to me, that's very powerful because they know their business. And so we as an IT organization lay the foundation, we build the frameworks, we put the governance around it, and then we say, here, have at it. So, so whether it's things like RPA or you know, sort of these low code solutions or business analytics, you know, let's let the business kind of move um, forward in, in helping to deliver on some of these solutions themselves.
So to me, one of the trends is sort of that empowerment uh, on the business side uh, to deliver technology solutions also. Jen Charters, thank you so much for a really wonderful conversation. I'm so impressed with the clarity of your thinking and uh, the 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 clear way in which you described uh, the, the the many changes you've ushered in in your three years as leader at Flagstar. Uh, more about the kind of partnerships and ecosystem that you've established, the means by which you've drawn from your past experiences, uh, the cultural changes you foresee. Uh, it, really, a great conversation. I really appreciate it. Well, thanks for having me, Peter. And, you know, I really appreciate your perspective as well. And and I think you helped me kind of refine and think about my uh, my approaches and, and how I might think about things kind of going forward. So I really appreciate what you bring to the table. And I've really enjoyed our conversation today. Thank you. That means a lot to me, Jen.